right. Hello. Welcome to another episode of I Love Rock and Roll. Uh, no chip today, but Kahuna is with me behind the boards, as always. How you doing, man? Hey. It's nice to see you. I haven't seen you in, in seems like an eternity. I know it's been a minute, but I'm okay. Recovered from that bullshit Omnicron, and I'm here to listen to another fine episode of I Love Rock and Roll. All right. That's what I like to hear. Um, my co-host today is... Um, one of my favorite stand-up comedians, a comic that I've had the pleasure of working with many times. He is the co-host of Louder with Crowder, and uh, you might know him from his multiple appearances on Fox Nation. Dave Landau, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me, Ken. Yeah, I'm. I'm excited. Hey. I've been trying to get. I've been trying to get you on for a long time too. Yes, it's been a while. So uh, not as not as important as your other guests, but I'm going to try. No, no. Well, I'm very excited about the next guest. Uh, about our only guest, um, she uh, she was an MTV VJ, the host of Alternative Nation from 1992 to 97. And uh, you can currently see her nightly on Fox Business on her own show. Kennedy, welcome to the show. Oh, my gosh. It's so nice to be here. Um, yes. Thank you very much, Dave, Ken. Hello. Big Kahuna. Hello. I think it's Big Kahuna, right? Yeah, it's, it's Big, Big Kahuna. Kahuna. You may, I don't know, you, we were just, you may have come across his dad uh, when you worked at MTV. Little Kahuna. <laughs> it, no, uh, Kahuna's dad was um, Prince B in PM Dawn. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. It's a small world after all. And and he loved um, Christina Applegate. Yes, he did. Oh, wow. <laughs> did oh, they man. date? Uh, they did he not, wishes. but they were. <laughs> <laughs> How cool would that be if I was just like, yeah, Christina Applegate's my mom. Yeah, you're like, no, no you've seen her. She's you've my seen mom. her in a couple things. She's my yeah. mom, but she's not. <laughs> Very incestual, how that sounded. Yeah, it's my mom. <laughs> it would be all right if it was your stepmom. Yeah, no. according to the internet. Yeah, that's, that's a whole category. Kennedy, are you familiar with Dave and his work? Shh, no. There you but go. <laughs> I like his name. There you it's go. Great, I, it's very biblical. Very I know old school. It's very old school. I know your I'm buddy Jimmy Failure very well. Yes. Uh, well, if you know him that well, you know his name is Jimmy Fela. I can't pronounce it right. <laughs> I don't pronounce a lot of things right, but Fela. 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 I don't know. Jimmy. I do his show. Jimmy. We'll just call him Jimmy. He's the best. Yes. Yeah, he's awesome. Jimmy, I love it, Jimmy. Jimmy has me on his show, but just for the um like the pop the pop culture and the stupid criminals segment. Like he knows that I'm too stupid politically to have on the main show. That's the best. But see, sometimes it's not about being stupid politically. You know, it's like some of my favorite conversations about politics were with my Romanian grandmother. And it's like she didn't go to college, she didn't go to high school. But she had really strong opinions and she knew how the world worked. And, you know, she knew corruption when she saw it. Yeah. And uh, she was the only person I knew who grudge watched Bill O'Reilly. She hated <laughs> Bill O'Reilly. She grudge watched him every night just as she could tell me. He's so mean to Bill Clinton. I know what's wrong with him. <laughs> <laughs> My Nana was like that. She passed at 95 and she did not like Bill O'Reilly either. 
So great. And made it a point to tell me she was from Lebanon, though. I'm not Lebanese. Yeah. She was she's related. But yeah. She also had that. Uh, well, you idea. are like, I'm not, I'm not anti-Lebanese at all. Like, it sounded like you were. Lebanese so I don't want to take no, credit. Lebanese food is fantastic. <laughs> it is. No, not, do you eat Kibbe Nye? Um, I don't know the names. Raw I'm, lamb. I'm just learning. I'm learning Espanol. Um, ah, now. Si. Ahora. I'm, I'm estoy aprendiendo Espanol. And, uh, so I'm Gracias. walking around the house speaking mucho Espanol. And so, uh, this morning I was trying to rouse my 16 year old and I was talking to the dog in Spanish and I was like, Hey Pele, are you up? And she's like, stop speaking Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> Little things you can do to annoy your children are almost as satisfying as Lebanese food. Yes, I agree. Yeah. I, uh, I'm also learning it a little bit cause I live in Texas and it just depends. I learn it here and there, which store I walk into. And every time I yeah. ask somebody a question, it's good to know, actually, it's the best language to know, I think in America right now. I think it's wonderful because it's, uh, you can, there's so many cognates, which are words that are the same in two languages yes. that all you have to do is learn those and you can understand so much. And so one of my favorite shows ever is Narcos on Netflix. Oh yeah. And I yeah. love watching it. So I'm, I'm basically just calling everyone. I meet Vato and Muchacho. And, <laughs> so uh, you're basically and, using Narcos as your Rosetta stone. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's much cheaper. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I do. Um, Kennedy, I, I just finished, uh, oh, I was telling Dave off air. So this is actually, this is our third time trying to make this interview happen. And, and every time we're scheduled, um, somebody, some famous musician dies. Um, oh God. yeah, the first time we tried to do it, Mike Nesmith died. And then, Aww. yeah, who, by the way, um, Dave, I don't know if you know, was like one of the early innovators of the music video. He, he, yes. he was one of the, he's one of the people that got the MTV ball rolling. Yep. Um, then last week we lost the lead singer of the Detroit Cobras and today Meatloaf. So um, yeah. I'm glad we're finally getting this done. Maybe we can. So you can stop killing people. <laughs> we can stop killing yeah, all this, musicians. Yeah, this is kind of a bummer. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's really right, a down next time, next time someone dies, I'm going to call Connor from, from yeah. Media Relations and be like, was I supposed to be on I Love Rock and Roll today? <laughs> <laughs> we got to get this Donner, Art Garfunkel's a goner. Jesus, dude, come on. I'm sorry. Don't put that in the universe. Yeah, don't do that. And they're not going to find him for, for weeks. <laughs> <laughs> you know why? Because he, he smells so good. Is that true? Yeah, he's going to leave a, a, a beautiful smelling corpse. Yes, I bet he is. Yep. Maybe Paul as well. Mm. Parsley sage. <laughs> That's what it is. You know, it's like when you use fresh herbs, you don't want to leave the. Uh, the That's part herbs. of it. Yeah. You want to leave a potpourri smell in your house. Yes. I've always right. said that. When I die, I want it to be parsley. Live fast, die young, and leave a beautiful smelling corpse, right? Yeah. That's, that's what uh, Ozzy said. <laughs> Um, Actually, I think it was Randy Rhodes. Oh, you're right. Oh. Am I mistaken? <laughs> I think it was Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> there's the no way. There's no yes. way. <laughs> no. Oh, I was. I thought. I was. I thought you meant the dude from ZZ Top. Oh, Dusty Hill was in ZZ Top. Yeah, Dusty Hill was in ZZ Top. There's no yeah. way that guy left a good smelling. 
I'm, all right, no, now, you know, now, now we're just. Now, you know, now it's bad. I'm sorry. You're right. Um, you went too far. <laughs> Kennedy, I read, I read your book uh, in preparation for this last month. Oh, nice. And I have to tell you that it was one of my favorite rock bios I've ever read. Um, because you had such like anytime you read a rock bio, it's from one point of view of one band or one artist, but your career was that almost had like a rock and roll Forrest Gump quality to it, where you were just in the middle of all of these, uh, iconic cultural moments in the nineties. So it was like, you got to, you got to hear about a ton of different bands were, were woven into your story. Um, so I cannot I, I could not recommend that book enough. I've been telling everybody I know how much I loved it. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, yeah it's you know, it's like the whole time I was at MTV, um, I I kind of had that sense that at any given point I was going to get kicked out of the party. Like yeah. they were going to realize that that I wasn't on the list. And so I was the person walking around like stealing the soap and uh, <laughs> eating an extra handful of the hard candies. Just because I knew at any at any second I was going to be uh, booted out of the party. And, you know, I think that's why staying for five years was so much fun, because uh, it just it sort of compounded. And it was you know, it was such a different time in music. And it was really important to musicians. Like there wasn't this sense of cultural appropriation. Right. Like nothing was off limits. Like if you were inspired by something. Uh, go find the person you're inspired by and do something with them, like do a co collaboration. And so, you know, it's like, if you go back to the judgment night soundtrack, yes. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. That was like the first, like Atari teenage rap. riot. Yeah. And, and yeah. there, there's so many great collaborations on there and that's, you know, so much of music at the time was about that, trying new things, doing things with different people, and, um, you know, it's like you you were no longer surprised that Scott Ian from Anthrax was uh, deeply inspired by Public Enemy and Run DMC. And it was, uh, you know, there, there was a great freedom in that because now things are so, you know, back to being so segmented and the artistry is really it's so heavily edited because people are worried about being called out for cultural appropriation. And, you know, when you enter the artistic process and you're that self-conscious, it compromises the product. And, you know, it kind of makes me sad for this generation of music consumers because, you know, you don't have that level of freedom. You have to get permission to belong to one tribe. And then you're really only able to express yourself you know, via that tribe. So that's kind that's of true. Yeah. Or they turn on you. And that is interesting because mm -hmm. I know Daryl McDaniels from uh, DMC and like even his collaboration with Aerosmith and you look at everything that they did, like it was sort of that idea that everything is a melting pot and we're all supposed to share in that. And, you know, Beastie Boys, for example, like, you know, more than anybody, they would go from punk to rap. It was yeah. almost supposed to be a joke and it took off. And it, it is a shame because you do see that everything has become such a niche market and you're afraid to lose your fan base if you pivot from that in any way yeah i i um it's funny because like i wear my beastie boy sweatshirt now and i'm like it's so funny like is this is this what it was like when 
I was a kid and someone was wearing like a Who t shirt. And I was like, oh, they're old. That's so cute. Um, yeah, that, I feel like, that's, like I have an Ad Rock hoodie and everybody's like, what? Isn't that supposed to say Adidas? And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I'm wearing. I was at snowboard camp with Adam Yow. Did you really? Yeah. Oh, he was such a talent. How awesome was he in person? I don't even, I can't even imagine. Really mellow and amazing and guarded, but funny. And um, just, you know, like super, super sweet, Um, soft spoken, but he, he was so passionate about snowboarding and, um, and I got into snowboarding before it kind of exploded. And um, the first time I learned how to snowboard, it was at a board aid event, which was, um, raising money to fight AIDS in the early nineties. I think it was like 93. And so, and this really cool snowboarder named, uh, Roxana, she taught me how to ride and, you know, got me making turns and stuff on my first day. And then she was like, let's go on the chairlift. I'm like, all right. And so we go on the chairlift and the ramp coming off the chairlift and anyone who is snowboarded knows this fear because your back foot is out. And so it's, it's really hard to go downhill with only one foot strapped in because you have yes. no control over your board. And so sitting on the bench at the, the bottom of the ramp was Adam Yauk, Scott Ian uh, from Anthrax and Whitfield Crane from Ugly Kid Joe. And I wow. was like, this wow. is the worst moment of my life. I get <laughs> off the lift. I have no control. I put my foot next to the binding and it's there's no stomp pad so it's covered in snow and i just completely banana peel out somehow fly back but still land on my face and they like (laughs) they were peeing their pants laughing so hard like they it was like the most delightful joyful thing in the world because i so wanted to be cool and that like exemplifies my entire time at mtv like i wanted to be cool i had access and i completely fell on my face and people laughed at me. I was like that. I was a stoner. So I was a skate poser and a board poser. So the first time I even tried snowboarding with my friends that were good, I just went down a bunch of moguls on my face and then quit that day. (laughs) It's just sad. It's pathetic. Um, Kennedy, one of one of my favorite stories in the book uh, actually revolves around the Beastie Boys and you guys, uh, the MTV crew was in Aspen and you actually got into a fist fight with Oasis. Yes. Over <laughs> over the Beastie Boys. Yes, that's right, because uh, we were trying to play the Beastie Boys and they wanted to play the Beatles and it was a CD player. There was no digital music. And so they showed up and, and I'm like, Hey, what's up, Liam? And he starts doing like this shovel motion. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. He's like, where can I get some cocaine? And I was like, Oh, you are, you're asking the wrong gal. Sorry, buddy. Uh, but they, they came up, they were, they were blitzed out of their mind. They probably found what they were looking for. I have no idea. And, uh, they they showed up. My boss was kind enough to rent a suite at this hotel because uh, the MTV Christmas party was at night. And obviously we were all in Aspen shooting, so we couldn't go. So she was kind enough to get all this food and and rented a suite in the hotel where we were staying so we could have like our own little party. And these 
dingbats show up. They're putting their cigarettes out on the carpet, spilling uh-huh. drinks, being loud. And then they take the Beastie Boys out of the the CD player and put the Beatles in. And we're like, no, man, come on. Like, why are you killing our vibe? You don't get to play DJ. And so that went back and forth. And then uh, this guy, Jim, who is like a really like high-end DP now. So he's like, I'm not going to say his last name or his nickname because I don't want to sully his reputation. Uh, But he took the Beatles CD out and threw it across the room. And so... One of the brothers, like, lunch. You should sully his reputation, but go on. No, no, Jim's a good guy. Uh, Jim was the only person who went snowboarding with me when I had a broken wrist. That's cool. And because no one else would, because they were worried that if I fell and broke it again, they were going to get blamed for it. And Jim's like, no, man, let's go. Let's go ride in the backcountry. It's nice and soft. I'm like, all right, let's go. Um, But so I stood in the way and we were pushing each other and they're little, like they're wee, they're shorter than I am. And so it's like, you know, little pushins. And <laughs> so I, I stand away and, and somehow um, I get Noel in a headlock and Liam jumped on my back like a spider monkey. And so I realized like I'm in a physical fight with both the Gallagher brothers right now. And it made me laugh so hard <laughs> that I fell to the ground in a heap with these two idiots. And uh, <laughs> they realized I was laughing. And then they realized, like, oh, I can't really hit A, a woman, and be a woman with glasses on. So uh, we just, it, we, we all realized, like, oh, my God, this is so dumb. Like, they were like, wait a second, we're two on one with a woman and we're not winning. And I was like, this is, this is like wrestling with two drunk golems. Yes. So, <laughs> How weird is it for a band to show up and ask to put on the music of the band they look like? <laughs> I know. And then uh, and then have their their music thrown across the room. Yeah, I know. Especially, but I it's apparently like slapping someone with a glove. Yeah, that's crazy. Because I, I was I, first off uh, in the book, the, the Beastie Boys album you had on was Paul's Boutique, which was. You know, still 30 years later is still might be the perfect party album. Yeah. Amen. And then, yeah. And then they put in the Beatles white album, which Which is the worst party album (laughs) Which to this day. I mean, it's a great album, but it's definitely not a party album. I don't understand. Like, I guess it's better than help. (laughs) Is it? I I mean, to to do. I I don't I'm not a big Beatles fan. And I realize that that makes it sound like I'm trying to sound cool, but I'm just genuinely not. Yeah. It's not that I I don't respect them. Yeah. I just don't. I'm the same way. Like all my relatives, my parents, everybody like put me through that. And I never enjoyed it. (laughs) And it's not that I didn't respect what they were, but it's like I just didn't care. I didn't yeah. even blame Yoko. I was like, good. She's glad she came in and stopped all that. <laughs> I actually, I've, I've done a 180 on Yoko. Now, like, I feel bad for her because yeah. obviously John was over it. Absolutely. You know, Paul, Paul has been, you know, he's entered sainthood. Yes. And, you know, it's like everyone might say, oh, John wrecked everything because, you know, he chose a sociopath who had such power and mind control over him that she broke up the band. And it was like, no, maybe she was the only one who like made him laugh and got yes, him yeah. and made him feel good. And, you know, Paul was probably not that fun to be around. Yeah. And, uh, you no. know, it's just like one of those people that just like, oh, he's, he's just such a great guy. And oh, Paul, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so, yeah. So now I feel for Yoko because she lost the love of her life 
and um, you know, and and Paul is just. Yeah, no, <laughs> I'm not going to say he's a wanker because I think that's that's a strong term, but that's what we're calling yeah. this episode. Paul's a wanker with Kennedy. His, his base <laughs> is just it's it's a douchey resemblance of the man himself, <laughs> and I'm sure Ringo wanted out. He was probably if, like, "Yeah, I'm if, tired of it." If you watch uh, the not, if you watch that Peter Jackson documentary, on Disney, yeah. if you watch Get Back. It's very, I think, Kennedy, you're right. It totally dispels this notion that Yoko broke up the band. And th- well, and I think that's, yeah, I think that that's always been there and everybody just needed someone to blame. The, everybody yes. just wanted a scapegoat. If, if, you, if you watch the film, it's very obvious every one of them's over it. Paul is the only one trying to keep it together. And you, I mean, George quits at one point. That's got nothing to do with Yoko. You know, it's... Um, well, isn't the White Album too? If I remember, maybe it's Revolver, where every song is basically a different band member anyway. Yeah, that was the. Like they were pretty the much White just album. putting out their yeah. own singles yes. and calling it the Beatles. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's like when Kiss did the. It's four. Like Fleetwood Mac. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Christine McVie's songs just suck. All the right. bad. Thank God we have the technology to skip through her. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. You were that, that sunshiny drivel. No, yeah. Barb. I want to hear about the drugs and the threesomes. Yes. Oh, yes. The, the lifelong heartache. Yes. Yeah. yeah if there's a tape, you're just like, no. I love you. You love. Watching Stevie Nicks make Lindsay guitar solo to songs about what an asshole he was. It's it's one of the greatest revenge toys in all of rock and roll. It's like, I'm going to write these super mean songs about you. Then you're going to sing all the backing vocals. Okay. Yeah. yeah, we got this new girl who hates us. And now we're on top again. <laughs> Her story is incredible, too. Her book's really good. Uh, Gold Dust Woman. Oh, yeah. She's amazing, man. Yeah, she's. I saw her at Madison Square Garden like uh, maybe three years. I guess it was three years ago with the pandemic. Uh, But just incredible still. Isn't it weird how the pandemic seems like a month? Yeah. Yeah. It feels like every the last three years was just supposed to be. I just look at it as the two week curve. Yeah. Yeah, And you're like, oh, yeah. Last year I did this thing. And it's like, yeah. oh, really? You did that thing? And you could go out and it's like, oh, my gosh, no, that was now three years ago. You're like, wow. oh, wait, I was 19. I don't know what's happened. Yeah, they should just it should just stay 2020 until they figure this shit out. <laughs> Happy New Year. What year is it? 2020 again and again. <laughs> uh, Kennedy, what would you think is... Um, what do you think the most iconic 90s moment of MTV was? Do you, do you think it was Nirvana's Unplugged? Yeah, that was that was one of those things where um, I wish that I had been given the syllabus before I went to the class yeah. so I could read up a little bit mm-hmm. um, and, you know, really had an appreciation for what they were doing and what they were playing. Um, and my... 12 year old she's in seventh grade and she plays guitar and uh she's she's cooler than i'll ever be and she knows it and it kind of bums me out (laughs) and so and i've been trying to convince her for years that at one point in time i was cool and so last year i was like hey i was cool in the 90s and she goes i've seen no evidence of this (laughs) and then last week she texted me she's like um in my music theory class we're studying nirvana unplugged were you actually there and i was like 
baby, not only was I there, I called out a song request and Kurt said hi to me from the stage. And she was like, wait, what? Did that really happen? And I'm like, yes, that really happened. Okay. So stop with this nonsense. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was insane. It was, it was absolutely beautiful. And to be able to go back and uh, to listen to that and appreciate it is uh, it's, pretty phenomenal were you there for the alice in chains unplugs i don't think so okay those are my two favorites obviously i think nirvana is the most legendary yeah of all the performances yeah Yeah, i remember at one point asking sean kinney in 1995 uh he was the drummer for alice in chains i was like hey are you guys gonna go on tour and he goes uh nope and i was like why and he goes our lead singer is a health freak (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, it's a big, is that what they're real health nut? He's always taking insulin yeah. into his arm. They're just there are not enough health food stores in the country yeah. to support yeah. his healthiness. He really he likes to tour. stay yeah. underweight. Yeah. He's so healthy, uh, healthy guy. A nut. Uh, he's next door in the health food house with all yes. the other health I th- addicts. I think you can tell by the peppiness of his music he's always yeah. feeling good it's all that green juice hey old man <laughs> i a um, good detox <laughs> i i loved what you said about uh the nirvana um first off you you taught me something that i never knew because i'm uh my my favorite artist of all time is uh david bowie and yeah. so when nirvana did the man who sold the world i was like holy shit kurt's like this major david bowie fan and he just got even cooler in my eyes but then i read your book and it turned out that it was uh pat smear that actually picked that and yeah yeah which i never knew kurt was just like hey pat you're a bowie fan let's do a bowie song what do you want to do and it was oh and wasn't that absolutely beautiful yes yeah i mean i i love that so much and and that was such a great story um you know it's like Pat and Kurt just kind of sitting around going through Pat's records and like, you know, putting the list together of what they're going to play. And, you know, it's like Pat Spear is amazing. He's, he is such a punk rocker. Um, you know, obviously someone that Kurt looked up to for a long time, always wanted the band to be a four piece. And, uh, it was, you know, it's, it's still, it's still hard for those guys to to talk about and to comprehend because you know they all loved the band so much and you know it's like and pat also said that uh he heard the first foo fighter songs and he thought that dave had written some nirvana songs he's like oh these are great when are we taking these into the studio and he's like yeah, yeah actually it's kind of a side project that i have and that was before uh foo fighters had died yeah. Yes. You you know what I loved about the story too? It's, it's like you said, it was it's it was it's almost like Kurt pulling Pat into the tent. Like, here you you can pick this. You're you're part you're just as much a part of this as any of us. So help me with the set list. And um and then when you watch uh I don't know if you saw the Foo Fighters induction into the Hall of Fame this year, where yeah. where Pat rattles off every band that he'd been in 
to give them a shout out. And it's like 30 names. It's like I, I recognize the germs, but only because Jane's Addiction used to cover them. Mm-hmm. So it's like 30 bands that you've never heard of until he gets to Nirvana and the Foo Fighters. And you, you realize uh, what an opportunity they gave this dude. And it's uh, yeah, it's one of those really cool rock and roll stories. Yeah, he's amazing. And uh, I remember watching Decline of Western Civilization, the punk years, mm-hmm. and seeing the germs and like, wow, that Darby crash is really something. Um, but... <laughs> Were you hardcore into punk a lot at the time or were you, what was your genre? Was it pretty much the alternative that was popular? Yeah. I, I, I saw more punk shows, um, when I was in high school Okay, and, um, and I, I, I really loved the energy of seeing hardcore punk live. And then, um, moving to New York, I was always really into the San Diego punk scene because I just, I still think it's phenomenal and amazing and so much talent in in one city and rocket from the crypt will always be my favorite band, but I love um, drive like Jehu and all of lawn and and pitchfork, like, uh, and even hot snakes. Like I just, I think that, I think that John Reese is an absolute genius. And uh, I hope that, that, people realize that and and when you listen to the bands that he's been in and his output over the years he is absolutely brilliant but also you know the the new york hardcore scene was really fun and i lived right by cbs and and going and seeing shows and you know going and seeing rocker from the crypt around the northeast and the different punk bands that they would play with uh it was so much fun and it was so it was so awesome and i remember like meeting punk rockers in the early eighties in Portland and just being in awe of them. You know, it was like, they were like uh, human peacocks yeah. and I was like, yeah. God, they're so free and beautiful. And you know, it's like, I, it's the same reason why I love drag. Like it's just, it's so free and expressive and like anytime human beings use themselves as canvases to express their artistry. I just, I love it. Cause it's such an authentic image of what they are about their music themselves. It's wonderful. Well, you think too, especially at that time, they had nothing to go on. So it's genuine. It's not just a copy of what happened before it. Oh no. Yeah. That's a really, that's a really good point. It's just authentic. Uh, yeah. That's what I always loved about punk is just, I mean, I'm from Detroit, so there's obviously a huge punk scene that came out of here, but I mean, really starting with Iggy pop and the stooges, but I mean, just to see how far it went is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Hey, Kennedy, do you mind if I ask you something? Um, there was a, uh, was even after you left MTV and you were, you mentioned earlier that your daughter had even brought up something that they were discussing MTV in a music theory class. Was there a moment when you realized that MTV as a whole wasn't just this channel that would probably go away at some point or another that it was pretty much ingrained in pop culture for years to come that and you realized wow i was a part of that like was there a moment yeah i mean it's it's always bigger than you are it's one of those places and and uh one of our producers ed capuano used to always say and he started out in mtv sports so mtv sports obviously uh took you know, sports broadcasting and videos and, and completely flipped it on its head. And 
you know, a lot of what were considered alternative sports became mainstream at the time because of the influence and the reach of MTV and the fact that there was no social media. Um, but Ed used to say, uh, working at MTV is like having a hot girlfriend who treats you like shit. And, you know, <laughs> And it was true. Like the hours were long. The pay wasn't great for a lot of people. Um, but it's like we had so much fun and they always employed the demo. Like they always hired people in their early 20s to do everything. So we always had a great time. And, you know, the, the very first time I went on a wardrobe fitting with the head of wardrobe, uh, this guy, Jimmy, who was just so funny, so full of life, loved fashion, loved his job. Uh, you know, it's like put up with all of the temper tantrums of everyone on air and all the special needs everyone had for their wardrobe. And so and he knew that, like, I was a kid, like I just turned 20 when I started. I'd never been on TV. Obviously, I'd never had any sort of wardrobe fitting. So he took me out, took me shopping in Soho and, you know, helped me try on all these clothes. And he said, I'm going to give you a piece of advice. Uh, take advantage of those three letters, MTV. He's like, write letters to people on the letterhead so they associate you with that because that is going to open doors for the rest of your career. And if you if you play it right here, you will have a career outside of this. But this is so big, you have to use everything you've got. And my manager at the time said, your first name is Kennedy. Your middle name is from your last name is MTV. He said, <laughs> it doesn't matter where you work after that. It's always going to be that way. He said, so don't be mad about it. Don't get mad at people. Don't correct people when they say that, because this association is going to be so strong in people's minds uh, that that's how they will always see you. And, and he said, if, if you are nice to people when they say that it will, you know, it, it will pay off and, you know, you will have, a long career. And so I was like, Oh, so, you know, Jimmy taught me use it for everything you can. Howard taught me, you know, always be okay with it. So when you go into the world, you know, be stoked that people know you from somewhere. And, you know, it's like, be humble about that because not everybody has this opportunity. Very few people have this opportunity. So, you know, be happy about that. And I, I just, I always reminded myself of that. Like, you know, it's like when I was 16 years old, I wrote down um, a John Cougar Mellencamp line. Hold on to 16 as long as you can. Change come around real soon. Make us women and men. And I kept that in my wallet. Uh, and just to always remind myself that there was a time when none of this existed. And always take that 16-year-old with me and be like, holy crap, I can't believe this is happening. That's, oh, that's great. Yeah, that's, that's, that's just cool gratitude, attitude. which is an amazing thing you don't always hear. How did you land MTV at 20 as a personality? Um, this is such a great story uh, because it's still ongoing, which makes me happy. So <laughs> cool. I worked at K-Rock, KROQ in Los Angeles, uh, which was, you know, at the time, the biggest alternative radio station in the country. And my old chiropractor, when I grew up in Lake Oswego, Oregon, used to give me uh, tapes of K-Rock. So she grew up in Southern California when she moved away, her friends would tape the, the K-Rock, you know, Labor Day and Memorial Day countdown and send her the tapes. And, I, and she would give the tapes to me. And so I got to know all the personalities on K-Rock. So when I moved to L.A., I was going to Pasadena City College and I needed extra credit in my communications class. So I applied for an internship at K-Rock 
and I got it. And everyone there was cool and fun and amazing. And music, like alternative music was blowing up. Uh, we were, you know, when I first started there in 1991, it was still very much the Manchester scene. Um, and it was a lot of like charlatans UK and um, Susie and the Banshees played a lot of Smiths and Kira and all that stuff. Um, and then obviously like grunge hit and K-Rock really helps break those bands and get them into other alternative stations and eventually mainstream music. And I used to go into the program director's office all the time as an intern, as an unpaid intern. I was 18 years old. Nice going to his office all the time. Be like, Andy, you should put me on the radio. You should put me on the radio. I'm going to pay you the compliment of being blunt. You should put me on the radio. <laughs> and he said that I was the only intern who would just walk into his office unannounced because I didn't have any boundaries. And, um, and I thought that's just what you did. Like you just talked to people and that was normal and fine. And so finally one day he's like, you know what? Okay. I'm going to call you on your bluff. I'm going to give you a two night audition on the overnight. And so I talked to a styrofoam head the entire night. I brought it in with me and I put a little Portland trailblazers hat on it. <laughs> and, uh, I talked to that head and, you know, did two nights in a row. And he was like, it's, it's rough, but there is some raw talent there. So I'm going to give you a shot. And he hired me to be a part-time overnight DJ. And then um, six months later, he got hired at MTV to be the senior vice president of programming. And then four months after that, he called me and said, would you like to audition to be a VJ? I can get you an audition. I was like, I would love it. And so he and a woman named Lisa Berger, who is an executive on the West Coast, got together and uh, they submitted my audition tape to Judy McGrath, who was the president of MTV at the time. And they were hiring new VJs. And she was like, sure, why not? And then uh, so they hired me. And a couple months after I got hired, they started Alternative Nation. And that was on at midnight. And, you know, that was uh, that was my life in MTV. And That's that awesome. guy, Andy Schoen, uh, we had babies two weeks apart, his wife and I. And they're still best friends to this day. Oh, that's so that's cool. That's It's really incredible. That's awesome. Um, you, uh, I, when you did the, uh, the VMAs, that, that famous night where, where Roseanne, uh, cracked the joke about you and, uh, and then, um, you filleted the microphone in front of Rudy Giuliani. Um, which I remember, I still remember it. So what a classy way of putting that. I don't, I mean, that's, this isn't a family show. Um, when, when you see, when you, so like when you fast forward now and you, you caught a lot of shit for that and, and had, had it, had, I know the, the theme of the book was, and you mentioned this up front was that you felt like you were going to get fired any minute. And that had to really have felt like, all right, this I went too far in front of the mayor of New York. When you when you fast forward to Rudy Giuliani now and you see him like in front of Four Seasons Total Landscaping with his head melting, do you do do you feel like do you feel vindicated? Like, oh may I, I maybe I wasn't the the idiot in that situation? Or Well, I think it was last year. Um yeah, so I think it was last year. Uh, might have been 2020. Might have been October 2020. Um, I, I get into work one day here at Fox Business on my show now. 
And uh, one of my producers like, uh, Rudy Giuliani is going to be on tonight. And I was like, <laughs> why? <laughs> and, and they're like, well, his people reached out and asked if he could come on. And I'm like, does he know that, you know, it's like, I'm going to kind of go for it. And they're like, yeah, you know, we told him that you're honest and, you know, combative at times and they seem good with it. And so, um, I, uh, you know, it's like I, I pressed him on some stuff and he got really mad and he was like, this interview is over. And then eight minutes later, we were still arguing and uh, he got so mad at me. He was like, I've never been treated like this. Uh, this is such an outrage. You're so disrespectful. And I was like, I'm just asking you basic questions. Like, you know, I'm asking about these people that you associated with. You're going to, you know, Eastern Europe to get dirt on a presidential candidate. Uh, it's, it's not how American politics should be. And he, he just came unglued. Uh, but he, he stayed like five minutes longer than we were scheduled, which made me laugh. Cause he was like, this interview is over like 90 <laughs> yeah. seconds in. And then like 15 <laughs> minutes later, he's still yelling at me. And like, he is so mad. Like his eyes are just bulging out of his head. And so during the commercial break, uh, my producer gets in his ear and was like, Thanks, Mr. Mayor. That was so much fun. He's like, fun? Fun? This is not fun. And, uh, and she goes, um, Kennedy wanted me to let you know that she met you at MTV at the Video Music Awards. He goes, oh, I remember. And you know what? She was a lot more mature back then. She was a stupid kid. Was he holding Hunter's laptop the whole time? Um, he, was, he was holding the information. And, you know, it's like... The crazy thing is Miranda Devine uh, wrote a great book about it. He was right about most of that stuff. He yeah. just presented it wrong. Right. And, you know, it's like there there is so much in there that is such a massive conflict of interest uh, that deserves thorough investigation. Oh, uh, yeah. But he he should not have been the messenger. And I stand by that interview. Um, I, I watched that interview. And as as he's getting off air, you're like, wait, we I didn't get a chance to ask you about Borat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he was mad about that, too. That I asked him about that because I was like, hey, man, I have, you know, at the time I have a 15 year old daughter. I was not comfortable with that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was. Um, <laughs> do you think he would just. <laughs> Stay inside for a few weeks, you know, like just every single time he comes on the air when he, when he went on the air with his head melting, I I was crying laughing. Um, yeah, I was in I was in a van on outnumbered watching that live. And I was like, the Matrix is real. Like this, <laughs> this whole thing is a computer simulation because there's there's no way uh, this would just happen spontaneously no no it's all just blown like someone apart. someone programmed this because it's so absurd <laughs> yes it's all and it's all crashing and did you when you uh were on mtv did you always kind of uh present yourself as libertarian i mean i remember watching you on mtv and it wasn't political i guess i mean behind the scenes no i was always i i identified as a republican when i was at mtv did you okay. i didn't I didn't become a libertarian. I didn't know what a libertarian was until Kurt Loder gave me an Ayn Rand book, uh, Objectivist Epistemology. I okay. didn't know what those two words meant at I the don't time. <laughs> um, and Penn Jillette pulled me aside at an MTV tape. He's like, you're not a Republican. You're a libertarian. 
And, uh, and he was like, you know, do some investigation. And, you know, lo and behold, they were both right. And, you know, it's like, I got to talk to Frank Zappa about politics. Yeah, he's great. He was also liberty minded and, you know, just an incredible intellectual giant, like a, a true genius in every way. And, uh, you know, Frank Zappa was an absolute legend. And I wish I had known at the time how cool it was to be in his presence. And, you know, he was taken way, way too soon. But I'm still very close with Dweezil Zappa, who is so brilliant and inherited so much of his dad's talent and uh, is just a beautiful sensitive, talented person. And, uh, his dad looks down on him and I know is so incredibly proud of his son. Yeah. I've met Dweezil. He's really, really cool. And uh, really, really talented. I mean, and his dad just to, I think the thing that surprises most people even today is that he was never on drugs. Yes. I, I, I always, people just don't believe it when I even tell them that I'm like, no, he just likes cigarettes. That was it. Cigarettes and coffee. Cigarettes and coffee. Yep, that was it. Um, Yeah, I mean, I listen to the music now and I still don't believe he wasn't on drugs. He was just in another (laughs) dimension, I think. Yeah. I think whatever, you know, whatever it takes you to. I love that clip of, uh, you know, when he goes to Congress with Dee Snyder. Uh, oh yeah, to fight Tipper Gore. And, oh, and yes. so, so. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's they, unfair. <laughs> it really is. Um, yeah, I had to get sixteen-year-old my bro, my buddy, sixteen-year-old brother, to buy me all the albums I wanted for a long time because of her. Of course, I was eight years old listening to Easy E and stuff, yes. so oh, probably that's... wasn't good. <laughs> but I still was able to obtain everything I wanted, and my parents didn't care. No, my, no, you always do. Yeah, you always get it. And then it, it, the parental advisory thing made you want the music more. It, it sold more records. I mean, it, it had to have sold more records. You didn't really want to buy it if it didn't have that cool sticker on it. Mm-hmm. I would yes, take it. You, oh, you, you, take, you take a chance on an album if it had that sticker that you yeah. might not normally take a chance. Or you had on. the Carlin album where it's the whole sticker with just his eyes above it, like Wilson from <laughs> Home Improvement. <laughs> incredible i always loved how people took that sticker as like a badge of honor they were like yeah we got it yes (laughs) now it's gonna sell because every because i was you know i was a uh like in middle school when that happened so i just ran out i wanted to get everything that had that sticker on it anything that was like disobeying authority fascinated me absolutely and dirty words like you know it's like you talk about carlin but you know we grew up uh, my brothers and I uh, listening to comedy records like Richard Pryor and mm-hmm. uh, Robin Williams. And, you know, we listened to Steve Martin and Bill Cosby because they were clean, but it was yeah. always so much fun to listen to Carlin and uh, the seven dirty words. Like it was just yeah, the my, very best thing ever. My dad had bought me the like several tape cassettes of mm-hmm. uh, Carlin Classic Gold when I was like 10, just because he knew I loved Carlin. He used to like wake me up to watch SNL. And I just remember playing that for all my friends and then realizing that other people's parents weren't as uh, 
free with everything yes. as my yeah. tip was. And it's like, I always found it to be hilarious, but I, even that, or I'd watch Eddie Murphy's raw or like any of that stuff. Joan rivers was really funny to me uh, because she was filthy. So it was sort of, yeah, everything that involved it being a little uh, dirty was something I enjoyed. And then you look at somebody like Cotsby and how he lived his life. It's still so ironic that the cleanest yeah. comic yes. was the <laughs> filthiest, almost awful human yes. being you can possibly be. And then people, People like Bob Saget, who sadly passed away, like nicest guy ever, filthiest cop. Yeah. Uh, Howard Howard Stern said the funniest thing about Cosby, where he was, he said he was like, why was he slipping these women quaaludes? He could have just played his act if he wanted them to fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Um, He's just not a handsome man. I'll say it. <laughs> and he has two different color eyes. I think he's, if we have a death pool, like, why are all these good people dying? I know. I say Cosby. Come on, guys. Get it together, God. Not yeah, only. It, before it, Louis it, Anderson. Come yeah. on, man. Well, I hey, said. Louis and leave Bill. I said God took Meatloaf, and then two hours later, he took the only dude that could play him in the movie. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> um, Kennedy, in it your- was hard for me not to tweet something that was like rest in peace, meatloaf with Louis' picture, only because Louis's a comic. Yeah. But it's like because meatloaf was a singer, I don't think he can do it. No, I saw. But my friend Michael Malice does that. I love Michael. With everybody. And it makes yes. like he does it just to see who gets mad. Uh, like when Jan Hooks died, he tweeted a picture of Victoria Jackson. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, I did. You know, I did said, Making copies in heaven. Like, um, how dare yeah. you? <laughs> I did Michael's show last week. What I love about him is, yeah, he does that just to get the reaction that he wants to prove, just upset everybody, knowing full well what he's doing. It's the same as when I, if you do your welcome, I will still have people that are like, correct the spelling of your. It's like, again, that's an apostrophe and an e so yeah. Yeah, actually <laughs> yeah it's like you've already lost the yes. point please yeah. don't watch yeah you're you, the entire valid point you made was just invalidated because <laughs> you forgot an apostrophe <laughs> yes. but i'm not the asshole um kennedy in your book I, I know we just have a couple more minutes with you but uh in in your book um, you said that uh, like the your three obsessions in life were uh, politics, music and sports. Um, I know, you know, obviously you you had uh, you've had broadcasting careers now in music and politics. Is, is there any part of you that ever wanted to go into sports or or just what, you know, just being a fan is enough? I did get to cover snowboarding the first time when it debuted in the Olympics in 1998 oh, that's in cool. Nagano. Mm-hmm. And that was one of my funnest experiences as a broadcaster. I loved everything about it. I love being around all the, the sports news guys are fascinating because, you know, they're, they're journalists and they have to know everything and they have to know so much about so many different things. Uh, but they really, you know, it's like, it's, it's like cable news. Like you have opinion people who you know, are vociferous and passionate and have a very strong POV. And then you have uh, the editorial side, which is, you know, the straight news. And it's, it's very much that way in sports broadcasting. So I love getting to know all the different people and going to all the different venues and the different sports. 
it was, that was so much fun. So I loved it, but, um, because news is really intense. Like it is, it's very intense putting a show together and talking about it and reading about it and making sure you get as much right as humanly possible. But then at the end of the day, like I watch sports, like, and it is like an extra sketch. And, you know, it's like, I don't care what it is. Like I love hockey. I love baseball. My favorite is college football, but I'm going to watch football all weekend, cook a bunch of food. And it, uh, it's my favorite thing. That's great. Do you have, um, I was like, after reading your book, I don't know if this is, um, an abstract question. Do, do you have like an athlete or a team that you would, that you think that your, your career at MTV sort of paralleled or, or you identify with? Cause I, I, I kept reading when I was reading the book, I kept thinking of, um, those bad boys, Detroit Pistons teams. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, I oh, hate yeah. them as a, as a Blazers fan, like uh, right. Bill Ambeer. Yeah. Well, Bill, as, a, Bill, as Bill, a Pistons fan and a bad boys hat 10 feet away from me, I'm a big fan. <laughs> as it's, it's funny. It's funny. You say Bill Ambeer because that's who I kept picturing, uh, as I was reading the book, because he was like, he, he, he was in your head before the game even started. They they said before the before the whistle even went off for the first tip off, the the opposing center would be agitated, and and he got in your head before before the the first play of the game, and um, I I sort of feel like that's what you did on MTV with with some of your interviews. I felt like you were a bit of a disruptor. Um, I oh god I forget uh it, it was you had you had that band that you were ripping on on Alternative Nation that her pipe uh was, was it, it spin, spin doctors, Do- spin doctors. Yeah. <laughs> either or seems acceptable <laughs> <laughs> you don't put on freshmen and just think about the old days <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> but you, where's my pill doctors was so bad I forgot about them two princes yeah. Oh. Little little miss. That was actually that was actually the good one. Yeah, Yeah, little miss can't be wrong. That that video, little miss, little miss, little miss can't be wrong. I hated that video with such a blinding passion, and I was so mad about it that. And I I think this is where you know it's like I'm probably on the spectrum because you know it's like I latch onto things like that, and they like that video made me so mad that I felt like. I had to provide a public service and tell people how bad the video was, how bad yes. the song was, how horrible the production value was, how disingenuous their stupid smiles were, and the paint. It was god awful. It was dumb. It was like I hate how it shot. The the woman in it is is just she's a big fart face, and it made me like still. It makes me mad just thinking about it. Yeah, and so you and I spent so much time railing against that stupid video, the stupid song. And if a band puts out a video that bad to a song that's that horrible, they have to be bad. You know, it's like that was the conclusion, yeah. and then they announced like. My show got to sponsor this big summer tour. I was so excited. All I wanted to do was go on the road, go to different places, broadcast from different cities and different venues and interview va- bands. And so Screaming Trees, I love Screaming Trees. Mm-hmm. Uh, Soul Asylum, love Soul Asylum. Oh, yeah. And Spin Doctors. 
And I was like, uh. going to the marketing people, like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, this is it's clearly a cruel, practical joke because someone in your marketing department doesn't like me. And this is your way of getting back at me. And, <laughs> uh, you know, it's like we go to the to the press release at Hard Rock Cafe. And, it, you know, it's like uh, the bassist comes up to me and he, he just gets in my face. Like, you know, we see what you say about us. I'm like, good. I'm glad you do. I hope you do. And I hope you think about it. So next time you go into the studio, you don't write garbage. Yeah, and, uh, and then Chris Barron, the lead singer, turned out to be like the kindest, most humble, sweetest person. And I, you know, when we were on the road, I loved talking to him because he would talk to me about aliens and time travel and conspiracy theories and I ate it up and he was so smart and sweet and he was a wonderful listener and I felt bad, but I still maintain that that video and that song, probably the worst things that have ever been on MTV. And that's, that's with Billy Squire. Was, in <laughs> Poor Billy yeah. Squire. Video that's so bad. Uh, it just absolutely ended his career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that, mm-hmm. that, Little Miss Can't Be Wrong was probably the most horrendous just because it was so upbeat and peppy too. It was like, I think that's why tool sober was just so refreshing. It's like, I'd rather just look at claymation hell than ever have to look at (laughs) that ever. It's like they put a backdrop down and gave the spin doctors uh, like six cans. of. It looked like that video was made for $8. Yeah, it. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I feel like their manager just pocketed everything and was like, "This is the budget." Yeah, but you know what? I'm I'm pretty sure they made the video, and then uh, the guy who made the video was like, "Here, I'm going to give you your money back. Like this, yeah. please don't pay me. Like don't yeah, put my like, name on it. It's, it's just my, call me. Yeah, just call me Randy yeah. Newman. Yeah, I put it together for you. I'm not. This is crap. My my father in law owns a hardware store. I got the paint for free. You don't owe me anything. Yeah, please. Yeah. No, this, this, is, this is awful. I'm sorry. My condolences. Yeah, I wouldn't do anything with this, but that's on you. Can I tell you a cute story? Yes, of course. Please. So um, I was on the Tonight Show in uh, 1993, um, and I invited my friend Gary, uh, and he got to sit in the audience, and he brought his roommate. And so uh, Gary was working at Chrysalis Records at the time. He was an A&R guy. Um, he was also, coincidentally, in Green Jelly, which at oh, one point was Green Jello. But Jello, yeah. Green Jelly. So he was in that band. And so um, his roommate came with them to the show. And then afterward, I went over and I was like, hey, Gary, what's up? And he's like, um, this is my roommate that I was telling you about. And uh is it cool if he gives you his demo? I'm like, no, that's great. And he goes, it's really nice to meet you. Um, my name is Maynard and this is a demo of my band tool. If you could listen oh. to it. And I was like, thanks man. Super nice to meet you. Wow. Isn't that funny? <laughs> wow. Whoa. <laughs> that's amazing. And meanwhile, you're like three little pigs. That's where it's at. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, I'm going with this green jelly stuff. Little pig, little pig. Yeah. <laughs> This no, is going to stand the test of time. <laughs> this is forward looking. This What's is sad the is future. Like, right, right over there in my house, I have a tape of Three Little Pigs. I, I, bought it. I don't know why I still have it, but I had it. I bought it as a kid because, yeah, I loved it, too. I was like, this is amazing. 
And then I went back and watched the video recently and I was like, ah, oh, this is, this is rough. <laughs> this is hot garbage. <laughs> I can't believe I was like, guys, listen to this. It's great. I need to rethink all my life choices because I've been wrong. Yeah. They were once jello. Now it's jelly. Yeah. <laughs> well, everybody evolves. No, there was an umlaut over the Y. <laughs> <laughs> they got sued. They got sued by Jello, and they're like, "Cease and desist." Yeah, we'll, that's uh, right. We will, we will run you out of business. Can you imagine? Yeah. Jello didn't even sue sue Bill Cosby, but they sued no. these yeah. guys. They were like, "We like to keep it clean over here at Jello." <laughs> We've got a guy who's <laughs> really he's the spokesperson for us. <laughs> Uh, Kennedy, I don't know if you remember this, uh, but I was just watching clips of you on YouTube, and it was when uh, David Bowie and Trent Reznor were doing their tour together, the Bowie oh, Nine yeah. Inch Nails, and you were interviewing the two of them together, and you asked, and I, you, like, after reading your book, I now know that you, you, you know, you were very good friends with Trent, um, but you asked David Bowie. So how does this work? Is it going to be like Dylan in the dead? Because <laughs> they were touring together and you didn't know yeah. like who was going on first or, or yeah, what. Yeah. It, and you were like, is, is this going to be like when Dylan and the dead uh, work together? And Bowie, yeah. Bowie looked so offended by that. He was like, well, I, I, I doubt that I doubt that anybody that 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 listened to that album's even around now. And it was like, I love Bowie, but like now nah, they're your contemporaries. <laughs> like they're... Yeah. I mean, actually, if we're going to be honest, like, they kind of came after you. Know? Yeah. <laughs> and then and then you said and then there was an awkward pause. And then you said to Bowie, did you know Jerry Garcia died? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> do you do you have any Was memory that out of doing nerves that? or just to be funny? Uh, it probably just happened. It, yeah, it felt like it felt like trying it, to make conversation. Yes, it, like, it, it felt yeah. like there was a nervous. Uh, it, you know, it, it, there was clearly uh, some kind of tension. Um, <laughs> but, that makes me so happy because. Uh, People watch Chris Farley uh, between two ferns. Or no, not not Chris Farley. Zach Galifianakis. Um, Zach. Yeah, Zach Galifianakis. But but even you know Chris Farley had his, uh, you know, it's like. Oh, I love the Chris awkward. Farley show. Yeah, that was yes, awesome. Yeah, the Chris Farley show was amazing. Yeah, remember and when so, you were in the Beatles? <laughs> <laughs> but it's like people thought that was satire. But I look at that and I'm like, that's my life. That that's how. 90% of my interviews go. <laughs> and then, you know, musicians are notoriously a pain in the ass to interview. And then you get in a pickle and you're stuck there. So, you know, it's like my nervous default is just to uh, just start asking dumb questions. <laughs> it, ma it, it made Bo Bowie smile, though. Like it worked. It broke the tension and he smiled and laughed. And then that made me like Bowie even more. I was like, oh, even Bowie hated the dead just like me. That's fantastic. Yep. Um, no, but then I saw him after that at a party and he was like, he was really nice to me. And he was like, I want you to meet my wife, Iman. I'm like, I know who she is. She's very pretty. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> so you're not a fan of Phil Lesh and Friends then, Ken? <laughs> I'm not. Oh, it's... no, it's not the same. Come on, man. No. 
Yeah, oh, it's just not what it used to be. It's so bad. Sorry. Go on. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I saw, I was at some festival. I don't even remember what the festival was, but I went because the Black Crows were headlining. And then one of the opening acts was Mickey Hart's Drum Circle. To Bonnaroo? No. <laughs> it was, it, no, it was like. Did in, you die for it, a little bit? It like was. This, when you woke up somewhere very yeah. hot and uncomfortable. Yeah, it it Yeah, it, that's it, usually what those festivals are. It wasn't it wasn't good. It it uh I, and people were so into this drum circle. It was like 20 terrible jam bands in the Black Crows. So and I, I I had to sit through all of these terrible bands just to see the one that I wanted. Summer, like I, uh, I did go to Bonnaroo. I like that, but I mean, that's also why I'm a recovering addict. But if you go back to, uh, I liked Ween. I watched them play for three hours at three in the morning. That was yeah. incredible. But I feel like me. Ween's brilliant, though. I feel like yeah, Ween so is good. their own. They're not like Trip Shakespeare. Like they're their own thing. Yeah, like people really look at them as if they're part of like kind of like it, I mean, I guess in a way, but like the butthole surfers who I think are underrated, but mm-hmm. people hate them. Um, but I do think they're just sort of, yeah, their own thing. They they got put into that alternative sort of category, but yeah, I think they're just unique in every way possible. Oh, Wayne. It's one of my favorite I words. I use it on TV all the time. It's, it's a good such word. A good word. It's such a good band, yeah. good word. They're touring yeah. again, too. Oh, I've never you seen. You got them. to, man. Everyone's got kids. You got to make money. Hell you got to yeah. put your kids through school. Like, I do not fault anyone for you know kicking up the the time machine. I really do not. I totally get it. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I do anything for money. I'm the co-host of Louder with Crowder. <laughs> <laughs> I got a six-year-old in private school. We got to make things happen. Oh, God. <laughs> um, so you asked me about a sports team. I oh. would have to say, like, I identify, obviously, with the 1994 New York Rangers. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, you know, it's, it's like team. winning the Stanley Cup after a massive drought. And that was like someone in my family actually getting a job that other people could be proud of. Um, yeah. And still, to this day, like like the Rangers, I'm still employed. Thank God. And, you know, it's like haven't had a cup since then, but, uh, you know, still, still wear the Jersey. And I wouldn't, I, you know, it's like, I love to say that I'm Mark Messier or Mike Richter. I'm probably more of an Adam Graves and I'm okay with that. Which is fine. (laughs) (laughs) Just happy to be there. That's awesome. Really is. Yeah. It's a hell of a career. And it, who's who's uh, who's the who's a bigger bunch of babies, musicians or politicians? Like when it comes to oh, interview. that's a great question. Um, they both really want to be liked, uh, and they both really want to be taken seriously, and uh, they'll admit to a lot more off camera than they will on camera. Um, and they're they're all pretty fun to party with. It's a good answer. It's a good yes. It's a good dodge, though. <laughs> it's, it's a good non-committal answer. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've met politicians that I think are just completely full of it, and mm-hmm. you know, it's like I actually have 
more respect for politicians who are total jerks because, um, you know, it's like they're as thin skinned as musicians. They really are. Yeah. And it's like, it's interesting because musicians would watch MTV all day long, uh, which I didn't realize when I was on and doing my day parts until I was hanging out with a couple dudes in bands and they had MTV on constantly. I'm like, God, that's so funny. Like they just want to see if anyone's talking about them. Politicians are the same way. Like they've got cable news on all the time. And you know, it's like in 2016, if I said something about Chris Christie, his person would call my senior producer and be like, you know, we just saw some comments that she made. And I'm like, you know, no, you, you do not get to censor me because you have a candidate that is underwhelming. Right. Like yeah, then on the that. other lines, the verve pipe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, going, you know, having said that, like, we're still kind of upset that yeah. you were name yeah. feeding to one of our videos in that right. six months that people kind of talked about us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It really hurt us a lot, other than our talent. <laughs> yeah, Matt, Matthew Sweet came up to me at uh, at a music festival it was a k-rock weenie roast backstage he came up he was like you are such an unkind person and i've seen some of the things you say about me i'm like hey man your song's boring it's a yeah. boring song <laughs> like what do you want me to say i didn't write it you want to lie <laughs> yeah why? <laughs> there's no depth to it but you're pretending there is it's upsetting yeah. <laughs> there's no it's not about anything no. <laughs> Thank God you're not a politician that affects my taxes. Yeah, it actually has power. Yeah. <laughs> you have no power, thankfully. You have a good set. <laughs> Go knock them dead. And by that, I mean into a coma with your boring music. Yeah, exactly. Then we'll put up a good band. So um, you can... <laughs> Go make the crowd cold. I'm... <laughs> Go make the crowd cold. <laughs> Uh, what a, yeah, it's like it's like the cooler in a casino. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we, yeah, need, yeah. we need Matthew Sweet to come out. So so Blur is is more exciting than ever. Yeah. Well, it's, it's William like H we, Macy of <laughs> rock. Dave, don't you like you know comics do that though? Like comics bring a soft opener a lot of Dude, times. Dude, I hate that. I always bring like you're like you or anybody. I always bring killers. I hate watching that where it's like, dude, if you can't headline a room. You shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. I cannot stand when you bring a terrible opener. And I and if bands do that, like how how hard do you have to try to really find a terrible musician? <laughs> They're everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> like you're like, this guy's way worse than me. It's like I would hope. <laughs> I right. got him in the subway. <laughs> Kennedy, uh, I feel like we've kept you long enough and I know you have things to do. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, this was so much fun. This was great. And thank you for reading my book. That was very, very sweet. I had fun writing it. And I, uh, I, you know, it's like, I never know if I'm doing something right. It's like, I got one review and it's like, we really wish that she had gone into more historical detail. And it's like, I'm not telling the story of MTV. I'm telling my yeah. story 
while I was at MTV. That that's something completely different. You you know what I you know what I love about it too. What what I loved about it was um, that you went back and followed up with interviews with people that you told the stories about because I feel like you knew enough, even though you weren't doing drugs or drinking at the, the time when you were on MTV. I feel like you knew enough that enough time had passed that maybe your memory wasn't completely trustworthy. And you interviewed a, a lot of the principal players from the book to to get to see if your story was correct and to get their version. Um, the funniest was Matt Cameron, the the drummer from Soundgarden and Pearl Jam. Uh, so he mm. was he was only in Soundgarden. I was he's so handsome, like to this day, he's so handsome. So, you know, it's like I was a horny 22 year old and, you know, I, I had to lead to Black Hole Sun like 700 times a day. And you just you run out of things to say. So I would just talk about how beautiful Matt Cameron was. And, you know, it's like, I didn't know, like, there was no internet. Like, I didn't know. He didn't have a Wikipedia page. Like, I didn't know he was married. And then um, Chris Cornell, God rest his soul. Uh, yeah. We passed each other um, at Radio City Music Hall at the VMAs. And he leaned into me and he goes, stay away from my drummer. <laughs> and uh, Matt Cameron was kind enough and... I have to tell you, I've been in a room with Matt Cameron probably 10 times and been so embarrassed. I've never said anything to him. And so I reached out to the band's publicist and I was like, can you ask him to sit down for 20 minutes for an interview? And he did. And he was so nice. And he laughed so hard because he was like, it was great because I had built this entire fantasy in my head. And he was like, yeah, I really didn't know anything about it. Like, I kind of heard something about it, but yeah, it's a, it, believe me, it wasn't a thing, which was great. And he was he was so cool and so fun. And he was like, he also reminded me that uh, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, and Soundgarden, all their big albums came out within like five weeks. Yeah, before. yeah, that's good. Yeah, uh, that's yeah, was it 89 or 90 or was it like the 93 one? No, 91. No. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah 91. It, what was, okay. it was like yeah. 10 and Nevermind and mm -hmm. Bad Mother Finger. Nevermind, yeah. Oh, I didn't know what Pearl Jam meant until like two years ago. And I've been a fan of them since that album. <laughs> and I was like, I wonder what that means. And I was like, oh, come. <laughs> it's just such a great band that you wouldn't relate it. You know what I mean? It's yeah. got a 90s yeah. name. Weren't, weren't they originally Mookie Blaylock? Mookie Blaylock. Blaylock, yeah. yeah. And and Jello threatened to sue them for. <laughs> Jello is very oh, upset. <laughs> Kennedy, Rook, there's there's one question I had that I didn't get to that I wanted to ask. Um, the Goo Goo Dolls wrote their song "Name," a number one single about you. Mm -hmm. um, yep. Do you ever like? Because now it's thirty years on. Do you ever hear it on the radio and forget it's about you? Like, you ever find yourself enjoying it and then it's like, oh my god, this is this song's about me. No, I always, I always know because I always remember where I was when I first heard it. And uh, Johnny gave me um, a tape of the album before it came out mm -hmm. um, with like handwritten tracks on there and. Uh, I heard it and I knew exactly what it was. And the first, I knew exactly what it was when I heard the song. And, and I was like, I called him. I was like, this is kind of an F you. He's like, no, it's not. It's sweet and beautiful. I'm like, no man, there's a couple lines in there where, you know, you're, you're basically accusing me of, you know, getting too big for the room. And I was like, but then I listened to it and I'm like, okay, now I think it's sweet, but, um, wherever I am, 
if I'm with someone who knows, I'm like, huh? How about that? Yeah, you got a song written about you? Huh? Yeah, I'm I mean, like, I I told my girls, and they're like, oh, please stop talking. Um, <laughs> but it's like, no, it's 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 great. It's really, but see, the, the the thing about it that I love is, you know, when Johnny and I were talking and hanging out, he was completely broke. Like the band wasn't doing well after Superstar Car Wash. They were not doing well, and he was he was having a hard time. And you know, it's like he was basically toying with the idea of quitting music so he could go get, you know, a regular job to support his wife. And then uh, he wrote that song and that album when they were having a hard time. And then, you know, they, they blew up and Kevin Weatherly who took Andy Schoen's job at K rock and was there for like 30 years. Um, he, he picked that song as like his pick to hit. And he was absolutely right. And Kevin Weatherly had an incredible ear for, music and obscure songs that would become number one hits and so and that was one of the ones he picked and it blew up yeah that that's it's 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 got to be cool all these years later to uh it, it's got to be like a nice little time capsule for you i would think oh it's the yeah, best it was decade sweet. And, yeah. and i i interviewed uh johnny for my book he was kind enough yep. to come to the radio station where i was working at the time and we sat down and and uh, i interviewed him and, and he was great and he was really honest and he was like, yeah, I, that's totally about you. It's the only time I've written a song about a moment. And, um, I, you know, it's like, I was honored and it was, it was sweet because nothing happened, but we were, uh, we obviously loved each other, right. but we didn't have, there was no physical manifestation right. of our relationship. And, you know, it's, it's, like this unrequited love that, you know, for me being as young as I was at the time, cause I was 21, like that was so strong. I had never been in love and he was completely unavailable because he was married right. and I wasn't going to cross that line with him, but it's like, we couldn't help it. We both had feelings for each other at the time. And, you know, it's like he memorialized that in a song, which is pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Very yeah, That really is incredible. Dave, has anyone ever written a number one song for you? I put music to my suicide note. (laughs) (laughs) It's the Cosby theme song, the Cosby show. Uh, No, I don't think so. Maybe. (laughs) I hope not. I'm sure if they do, it's about my murder. (laughs) All right. What if if the verb pipe freshman is? About it's guys. about me. They're like, we met this freshman. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know his name, but he looked like a freshman. He looked like a freshman. <laughs> he was, he was a, an obese 10 year old. <laughs> Still at acting. Very awkward. Yeah, I had a strange cheese stash for being that age. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> All right, Kennedy, thank you so much. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for uh, hanging with us. Um, to, thank you. I, I know this is the third try. So uh, thank you very much. Where, I'm glad it worked out. Hopefully. <laughs> You know, just send up the bat signal when when a musician dies. Uh, I'll know it's yes. time for round two. Yeah, we'll <laughs> see, you know. see you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> the way this year is going. Yes. Uh, do you have anything coming up you want to tell people about, or or where to find you? Social media, anything like that? Oh, you can always find me at Kennedy Nation on uh, Twitter and Instagram. I'm not on the Facebook. My daughters tell me that no one goes on the Facebook. 
It's true. <laughs> it's really funny. Just if you ever want to know what's going to happen in the world, just sit a couple of 16 year old girls down and they will, they will tear everything apart that is not going to last. And, and they will start with <laughs> Facebook. And it's like, I told, I told my 12 year old, I was like, Oh yeah. Uh, did you, do you ever watch Instagram reels? And she goes, Oh my God, no, I would never be caught dead doing that. She goes, do you know what that is? And I was like, well, it's entertaining. And she goes, no, no, no. It's TikTok for old people. And I was like, Oh my God, this is so great. <laughs> like the way they see the world is so fantastic. It's so honest. So yeah. Meanwhile, it's uh, people in their twenties using it and they're like, it's TikTok for old people. Meanwhile, yeah. I, like, well, I still feel like it's 1996 <laughs> with the technology I used. I don't understand anything anymore. Yeah, yeah no, it's like people are like, why do you have an AOL address? And I'm like, yeah, like what? because yeah, it's I've the had coolest. It since 1993. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, where can people find you? Uh, Dave for tour dates and uh, a lot of with Crowder Monday through Thursday. Um, yeah, but I'm touring all over the country and I'll be at the Denver Improv in a couple weeks and the Majestic Theater in Dallas. So come out to those. Yeah, shows. go go see Dave is one of Dave's one of my favorite comics is one of the funniest dudes working today. So go same if he's in. Thank your you, town. sir. Yeah. Thank you, Kahuna. Thank you so much. No problem. man. All right, everybody. Uh, oh, and follow us at uh, Rock and Roll Pod. That's it. All right, Kennedy, thank you so much. Enjoy your Dave, weekend. Ken, Kahuna, thank you all. You guys are awesome. All right, thank you, Kennedy. Take care. Take care.